over time, I learned that minimizing my emotions and suppressing my emotions kept the people around me happy. And despite everyone else being happy, on the inside, I was completely miserable. Um, and I was struggling with my own thoughts and emotions and feelings. But eventually, the funny part about that is I would suppress for so long. And then, you know, months go by and eventually it would come out in a big rage episode and explode. Michaela Kelly is known for her BPD content under the handle at BPD Relatable, and that really says it all. Since 2021, she's cultivated a massive recovery-focused community across TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook by creating insightful content about her experiences with BPD. She has a unique talent for articulating her experiences in a way that so many of us can relate to. I am thrilled to introduce you to my good friend Mick. Off we go. super excited to talk to Mick about her experiences with Quiet BPD because I don't often get to actually have a conversation with another person with Quiet BPD or who relates to that. So let's start off with how old are you and maybe how were you diagnosed with BPD? I am 26. Crazy to think about. I never thought I'd live this long to be honest with you. So I originally went to my GP which is my family doctor and I went to him and I was like okay I have like I feel really depressed and I feel really anxious I was having a lot of panic attacks at that time but I was also experiencing rage episodes but the shame in me couldn't tell him that I was experiencing rage episodes because I didn't want to be like locked up in some like mentalized institution or whatever the hell it was right back in 2017 there wasn't much of that but I was scared I was gonna get like sectioned or something so I told him about my anxiety and depression, and from there he put me on SSRIs. A month later I went back and he's like, so how are you feeling? And I was like, absolutely horrible. It just amplified my symptoms. Oh no. So, oh crap. Yeah, and from there he was like, okay, well, let's get you to see a psychiatrist. Um, psychiatrist wait was six weeks. When I ended up seeing the psychiatrist, uh, he dove into my past with a million questions I would have never even thought someone would ask me. And then he told me I had BPD traits, which within the year was turned into BPD. So at the time, the traits, I don't exactly know like what traits they were, but I think he was reluctant on diagnosing fully because I wasn't um, over the age of 25. And in his brain, it was like, well, your brain's still developing. So he didn't fully diagnose me with the full diagnosis it was just traits and then later on I was diagnosed by a psychiatrist who was like okay yeah this is BPD this is full-blown BPD yeah damn <laughs> I always like hearing other people's like diagnosis stories because there's not a single one that is the same with the quiet BPD thing though like how did you first realize or or like discover that you really related to quiet BPD I think it was once I started going to therapy and I started, you know, using skills that 
it was more so that the way I dealt with my emotions was to suppress them. Like, I didn't like getting to the point of rage, right? So once I went to therapy and I gained those skills, the only way I knew how to control my rage was to suppress my emotions. And so over time, I learned that minimizing my emotions and suppressing my emotions kept the people around me happy. And despite everyone else being happy, on the inside, I was completely miserable. Um, and I was struggling with my own thoughts and emotions and feelings. But eventually, the funny part about that is I would suppress for so long and then you know, months go by and eventually it would come out in a big rage episode and explode. Literally same, dude. Did you, did someone maybe tell you about Quiet BPD or did you find that information on your own and then you were like, oh wow, this is me, like this is pretty much what I relate to? So nobody told me about Quiet BPD, like no mental health professionals. I find it's hard that, like hard to find a mental health professional that really resonates and knows about Quiet BPD still to this day. Um, I don't exactly remember where I learned about Quiet BPD. It could have actually been one of your videos. I wish I, I had that like pinpoint, but I don't. And but I do know that when I did hear about it, I was like, okay, that clicks. Like now that makes a lot of sense why I'm, you know, no longer displaying it in a way that is outward. I'm displaying it in a way that is inward. Yeah, inward. Like, like you said with the rage, the keeping your rage in until it finally like you cannot hold it in literally same dude and that's why when people say like well people with quiet bpd don't have outbursts uh they do it's like a big volcano or something like it's really you can only hold so much in for so long and then you can't you can't process it in a healthy way anymore like it all just kind of comes out and it's just this big shit storm yeah i think it's really frustrating like i don't know when i see things online about quiet bpd and they're like i feel like people try to make it into the idea that it's all rainbows and butterflies it's high functioning it's we don't rage and it's not like that at all it's it's a different way of coping there's still negative coping skills within quiet bpd just as much as there is in, you know, petulant BPD, let's just say. It doesn't matter the subtype of what you are. We all struggle greatly. And I think that people sometimes try to downplay quiet BPD or act like rage episodes for quiet BPD aren't a thing um, when they very much are a thing. They just aren't as frequent. People's attitude or, or I guess like perception of quiet BPD is just like woo subtype BPD. Right? Where it's just like, oh, I'm really sad and I never get mad ever and I never hurt anybody. Okay, no, it's still BPD. It still sucks ass to have. Yes, it's in generally internalized, but it still can hurt people around you in other ways and not just yourself, right? So, yeah, it's not uwu subtype BPD. With quiet BPD, it feels like um, almost like the self-sabotage has turned up. The people-pleasing is like amplified to a new level. Um, because you're trying to, you know, keep peace and keeping peace just keeps you so unhappy, like the silent unhappy. It's like people don't see that. It's like invisible to the people around you. And you can only suppress for so long. And if you're not communicating, let's just say, because you think you're keeping the peace, you're actually creating more conflict. And it's taken me a long time to realize that, that when I don't speak up about my emotions or my boundaries or whatever the hell it is, it actually creates more conflict in the end because I build resentment over time. That resentment turns into 
you know, this person doesn't care for me because they're not doing what I'm doing for them back to me. Uh, so they must not love me. It almost like validates that they don't love me. Um, so essentially it's creating more conflict because eventually it's going to come out one way or another. And that person doesn't understand why it's coming out. Um, they just thought I was happy all along when really I've just sat here being unhappy, but not being able to say anything because A, I don't want to lose them. And B, I fear those conflicts because I don't want to be taken the wrong way. A lot of times I hear when people with quiet BPD, including myself, um, finally are just fed up and we have this like explosion or we just like do a whole door slam on a relationship. Um, the other person is like, wow, this came out of nowhere. What's your problem? Like, I, I didn't even do anything like this seriously just came out of nowhere. And in my head, I'm just like, what the, what the fuck do you mean this came out of nowhere? Are you serious right now? Yeah. You know, and then the split happens where I'm like, okay, you're honestly a piece of shit. When it's really like, how are they supposed to know? Like, they're not a mind reader. And I've just been hiding and putting on this, like, mask the whole time, pretending that everything is fine. Like, of course it came out of nowhere for them. And so the whole time I'm just like wow, I, they're the fucking toxic piece of shit, and I am just, like, I'm done. I'm ghosting, leaving. I just expected them to read my mind. And in a sense, it's almost like you think they're reading your mind, you know? And you, yeah. for me, I have these scenarios in my head where I'll, I'll have this problem, let's just say, with somebody, and in my head I have them responding to me exactly how I hope they will. And when I go and have these conversations with people and they don't respond that way, it's like they're not reading that script I had in my head. It can be so frustrating. And that in itself makes me not want to speak up about my feelings, thoughts, or emotions because it never seems to play out exactly how I'm needing it to. And of course, it's not going to because they're not the same person as me and they have a different perspective. But com communication overall is such a big thing when it comes to BPD, especially quiet BP. Yeah, and I'm still unlearning, like, the ghosting thing and the mind-reading thing. Like, it's a really tough thing to unlearn. I noticed, for me, I don't know about you, but my subtype has kind of shifted over time. So... There are points in my life, especially before my diagnosis, where I related not not necessarily less to quiet BPD, but more to other subtypes. And then over time, I kind of shifted toward seriously, like, major quiet BPD. Um, like, I, in my early 20s, before I was diagnosed, I used to be really, really impulsive subtype. You know, when I was reading about the subtypes, the impulsive one, I was like, oh my god, that is literally, like, 22-year-old, 23-year-old Avery, like, to a T. Do you, do you find that your subtype has kind of shifted a little bit over time, depending on the situation? Absolutely, I do. I think when I was, like, prior to diagnosis and stuff like that, I was way more petulant, um, very explosive, and my rage would come out in very loudly. Um, and I was unable to control it at times. I struggled greatly, but what I recognized too is during those times in my life, that's when I was experiencing a lot of the trauma and I had a lot of distress. And I do notice that we can shift subtypes regardless if right now, let's just say I'm quiet 
um, and I suppress. If I'm going through a situation, um, like example, even an abusive relationship, that can shift pretty quickly for the time being. And I can turn into more of an explosive and outward kind of um, you know, person with my BPD. Whereas um, when things aren't as high as distress in my life, I do find I suppress more. But it honestly really depends person to person too. For most people in my life, I'm, I suppress and I people please. Some people in my life, I can still be very loud. And that's like my mom, for instance. Um, if she were to call me with anything, more times than not, I can still, you know, be that explosive person if there's a trigger in that conversation. Yeah, definitely relate to that. Like, there are just some people that I, for some reason, they bring out a real, like, the louder side of me. I think the reason is because I know deep down that they will not abandon me. I, I feel like I do have to be a bit more desperate with my efforts to express myself or like get my needs met and when I was in an abusive relationship I found that I was highly explosive with that person um and I felt a lot of guilt and shame about it but I I realized later like "Mm, it's because I was being abused uh and that's like an extreme form of not getting your needs met and so like it wasn't just my regular maladaptive coping that I had internalized for so long it I became more and more subconsciously desperate to get any kind of need met um Mm -hmm. safely and so yeah my my brain was just subconsciously like okay no you actually do need to turn up the volume and get seriously like this is what you need to do and you know looking back I don't feel shame or guilt anymore about it like that's just how your body and your brain cope i think sometimes too you though you look back at you know relationships that you're in and you're able to see it for what it is and when you're in that moment of the relationship and it's not a good relationship you don't recognize how bad it is it's almost like you have this distorted lens and the lens is almost distorted by your bpd because you don't want to be abandoned you don't want to be alone um i feel like we're the kind of people that for me, for instance, I blame myself when relationships end, despite if, you know, the person was abusive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I did that for a long time. Yeah, and it's it sucks because there's a lot of shame around it. And I feel like we struggle a lot with that. And that can bring us back into the relationship sometimes because we start to blame ourselves. And we start to think, well, maybe it was me. Well, maybe if I did this, maybe if I did that. They'd love me better. They'd love me differently. Yeah, there's a lot of this bargaining part of that grief where you're like, well, maybe it's all my fault and I deserved all of this because I have BPD. And it's just like, I had to really work through that and be like, no, I deserved none of this um, despite my disorder. I deserved none of that treatment from this person. And I feel like we're like more susceptible to an extent, like being someone with quiet BPD because I people please it's almost like they come into these relationships and I'm the one that's setting those boundaries and when they get used to those lack of boundaries they know which buttons they can push and some people like sometimes it isn't your BPD sometimes it is your environment and it is that person provoking you and so when you say can quiet BPD let's just say go 
and switch subtypes absolutely in relationships that are so provoking and in times let's just say where you've communicated what does provoke you and the person doesn't stop um you give them that warning and they don't back off and i think that's something that we can struggle with a lot too i don't often bring up reddit but there was this thread in reddit uh recently that was freaking whack where this girl was like my new boyfriend said that he is justified in leaving me on red on purpose to teach me a lesson because that's what my ex did and i was like oh my god girl take the trash out wow like this is a perfect example of how people with bpd are just so vulnerable to people other people's shitty behavior like that and just accepting it and I just felt like my heart just really went out to to OP because obviously she didn't deserve it. Mm -hmm. That is messed up. And a lot of people, if they're in that situation, I see it a lot on Reddit where they're in that situation. They're like, what did I do? Like, I'm, how do I stop being so toxic? And I'm like, actually the other person, the other person is being a shitty asshole to you. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm telling you right now, like this, yeah, your BPD may be having you cope with this in a less than ideal way, but like in this particular situation, you are not the problem. Sorry, how do you expect someone to respond to that, you know? Like, I would respond negatively to it too, and I think the people with BPD, like if you have BPD and you have a partner treating you like that, you tend to blame yourself, and it's like any given person would be upset over that, you know? Yeah, yeah, and that's how I check the facts, is like, what a reasonable person react the way I'm reacting right now and be upset or uncomfortable with this right now yes okay like that's a great way to validate yourself is it would a reasonable person would this make someone uncomfortable in general or am I like kind of having a BPD moment you know um and for the longest time it was really hard for me to differentiate between actual like paranoid thoughts and like intuition and like gut feeling you know do you ever find that you kind of like do you still have trouble sometimes you're like is it am i being paranoid or is this like a real gut feeling that i have like what's going on here yeah all the time um i constantly still get thoughts even despite being in remission it's how i handle those thoughts now and Mm. the paranoid thoughts for me i really have to ask myself like is this an assumption is this a judgment because i think that a lot of our thinking processes start from judgments and assumptions as well as like catastrophizing um any given situation so i will have to sit with myself and you know ask if i have proof to back this up like what proof do i have that this is actually happening um a really good example of this is one time my partner brought home flowers and i'm sure he thought he was going to be doing something really good but no uh i got upset because i thought that those flowers meant he did something bad to me or um you know, did something, he had a negative intent as to why he was trying to suck up. Does that make sense? Yes. Like, so, you're like, why are you being so nice to me? What the fuck have you done? Yeah, and it's almost like in my past, though, that every single time, you know, someone was nice to me or gave me a gift, it was at the exchange of, I need to forgive them. Like, I was raised on that kind of love where I traumatize you and here's a gift to shut up about it. But you have to forgive me if I give you this gift. You know, I don't, I don't know if that makes sense, but like, 
No, it does make sense. And that is part of the cycle of abuse, too. Like, if you've ever looked at the cycle of abuse, there's, like, a this honeymoon period where it's kind of like they're sucking up to you um, to catch you off guard. Be like, okay, the abuse just happened. And they're like, oh, I'm so sorry. Or they do stuff like this, right? And then you're like, oh, okay, well, everything's fine now. And then this is it. This is like the last time this is going to happen, right? Like, this is it. And then the cycle starts all over again. And so you learn like, okay, it's not going to stop. So this is just part of the cycle where it's like, okay, when is the other shoe going to drop? Mm-hmm. Right? Like this nice, this nice thing is happening. You're sucking up to me. Where, what is the catch here? Right? That's what we've internalized and learned. And then it turns into like the trust issues. Yeah, it feels like I can't trust anyone's intent now at all. And that's something that, you know, I think will forever stick with me where I'm always questioning people's intents. And I think because of that, too, and and now developing, like going more into the quiet subtype, I withdraw more from people. I avoid people because I don't know what their intentions are. And the thought of connection really scares me. I used to be the kind of person that never wants to be alone, and now I'm the kind of person that never wants to be around people. Dude, same. <laughs> I used to just lily pad relationships. Like, I could not be alone. I could not mm-hmm. face abandonment in any form. And I would, like, stay in that cycle of abuse because the idea or the concept of being alone was a lot more painful than the status quo. And that paranoia sets in a lot. Like, in my past relationship, I... I dismissed a lot of my thoughts as, like, you know, if if I was getting left on red for, like, honestly, like, 18 hours at a time, I was just like, oh my god, like, he's cheating on me, he doesn't love me, blah blah blah, and then he would come home, and everything would be fine, and I'd be like, okay, I was just being paranoid. Um, turns out that was actually a gut feeling that I should have listened to, Mm -hmm. but then it moved into... It, it like leaked into a relationship later that I had that was probably one of the healthiest I've ever had in my life. Those trust issues turned into paranoia where like that person I was in a relationship with was like actually capable of being friends with other women and just being platonic mm-hmm. and not objectifying them, which I was like, whoa, whoa, that's wild. That's like a thing. Oh my God. <laughs> and I, I was just like, no, no way, no way, no way. And so like, that paranoia of like, why did you tweet your friend? Why are you having a Twitter conversation with your your friend that's a girl? Like, who is she? Have you guys slept together? Like, and that was obviously paranoia mm-hmm. and not a gut feeling. And I was just like freaking out over it. And so later, like that can ruin relationships where the other person is just like, hey, bro, she's she's truly just a friend. Like... You have, you really have nothing to worry about. And I'm just like, that's what, that's what, that's what my ex said. He said, you don't have to worry about this girl. It's the one you're not supposed to worry about. And I'm just like, okay. Like, at this point, I'm just like, okay, I still, I'm still learning the gut feeling Mm -hmm. versus paranoia. Like, I can only see them in retrospect. And, uh, fuck paranoia. Oh my God. (laughs) I think it's like hard too, though, because it's. You want to trust people. Like for me, I go into relationships and I want to trust them. I want to trust that their intentions are pure. And now my motto is more so, you know what, we're going to trust them until they show us that we can't trust them. And that is really hard to do because while I'm trying to, you know, 
allow myself to trust again and love again. Um, it's you do have those thoughts constantly in the back of your mind, and I think it's really weird when you go from just a life in general that is so used to, you know, people hurting you and people deceiving you and people betraying you to a partner or even a friend that is genuine and just cares about you and wants nothing but the best for you. It's hard not to question those or test those people even more than the past relationships that you were in. It, it's almost like because it's calm, it's too calm. We need to create chaos. And how do we create that chaos? We start self-sabotaging because we think that this person is going to do the exact same thing that the last 10 people did to us. And I think that can be one of the hardest things to do is go from a really, you know, unhealthy partner or multiple partners to someone who genuinely wants to see you thrive and be successful and happy. When you say that you are learning to trust and then uh, un- like trust people until they break your trust, my therapist said, don't do that. Did you really? Yeah, my therapist, she was just like, no, you oh. don't need to automatically trust people. That is survival. Ooh. You need to let people <laughs> earn your trust. You need to let people earn your trust. They Trust is built. And it, so people need to start off actually by default. You don't trust them. You don't need to necessarily assume that they're like not trustworthy and they're just like a snake by default people you don't need to perceive them as snakes by default (laughs) but you definitely need to build their trust starts off as like okay this is just like an empty lot and brick by brick they need to build you need to build trust together they need to show up for you over and over again like my friend lena she said trust is kind of putting like marbles in a jar Mm-hmm. right um she said that to me on like a different interview she was just like okay trust is like putting marbles in a jar and you have to fill it up gradually so like if they prove if they show up for you you know if they have proven to you moment after moment that you can trust them and that they can hold space for you and they want the best for you like that's a marble each time they do that right but by default they're an empty jar that makes so much um, sense so don't Yeah, so don't don't be hard on yourself that you don't trust people right off the bat because, like, there's trust issues and then there's survival. Mm -hmm. So that 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 is something that I'm learning because for me with the fawn shit, I was like, okay, like I need to be nice and like automatically trust people and just let them later show me that they're a piece of shit. And it's just like, okay, that's a great way to get fucked over. And you. So, yeah, I had to unlearn the trust people right off the bat shit. That's going to be a tough one for me, I'm not going to lie, because I try not to bring any of past hurts into relationships. And I think that, you know, even, like, putting the marbles in the jars every single time, like, for me, I'm going to be like, you know, I'm going to have it in the back of my mind that what if you are like them, you know? It is going to be a tough thing to unlearn and unpack. Um, and it sucks. It is very isolating. Like, do you feel really, like, emotionally isolated? I do, yeah. Um, I, it's almost like I long for that connection that I see other people having. They look so happy and in love. And then not having that is almost frustrating. It's like, I want that for myself, but I don't know how to get there because I don't know how to put myself out there. 
part of me blames myself and I have no issue blame myself because I'm like, you know what, Mick, if you don't put yourself out there, how do you expect to get close to anybody? Like you got to step out of your comfort zone. And that's something I've been trying to practice is like, you got to step out of your comfort zone and start doing things that make you uncomfortable. And that, you know, challenge that anxiety and that those thoughts. And so that's something I'm really trying to do, but I definitely feel like overall I have been socially and emotionally withdrawn from the world and people and just doing my own thing. Do you find that when you're in a relationship, you get triggered a lot more easily or or like you can kind of crash and have some kind of like emotional breakdown a lot easier? Like do you find in a relationship you're a lot more vulnerable to episodes? Uh, I definitely do, yes. Um, and I think it has to do with like environmental triggers for me. Um, like I'm a very clean person and I'm very precise on like how my house is having people in my space personally triggers me. I don't know if you're like that, but I'm, my space is a big thing to me and I have those triggers, but I also have the triggers around like the unknown of, you know, who are you talking to and where are you going? And I used to be the, like a really jealous type of person. And I used to, you know, have their location, comb over text messages. I used to question them on everything. And I'm not like that anymore. But I realized that was from like a place of fear of abandonment where I was so scared I was going to be abandoned um, that I would almost be punishing someone that's innocent. But like they didn't show me that they were that kind of person yet or that they've done anything like that. But in my head, I was like, you know, if I can control that piece. I can make sure that they won't cheat on me when that wasn't the case. So I would have triggers around that for sure. Yeah, I can definitely understand that. Like, those are pretty much the frantic efforts to avoid abandonment. Yeah. You know, those are the that over control. I don't know if you've read this before, but I've read it before where you know, places will define these frantic efforts of abandonment as, like, physically frantic efforts where you're, like, having a, like, you're just, like, oh my god, don't leave me, don't leave me, and you're, like, having a breakdown and you're, like, physically clinging to them and, like, you know, stuff like that. And I'm not gonna deny that I've done that before, but it's not a typical behavior for me. My, you know, I have such an issue with emotional over-control I need to know everything at all times, and that's how I stay in control of my environment and my emotional safety. And so not knowing uh, freaks me out. Not knowing is like the the window that the unknown is is in or whatever. Like that's that opens. That's how big the opportunity of abandonment is in my head. You just get lost in what if land and then it makes you spiral. And that for me causes a breakdown. Where I'm like seriously in my own head, sitting there like, oh my god, I've just made up this scenario in my head and hurt my own feelings and abandoned myself. And then they come home and it's just like, and they're just like, hey, how's it going? I had a great day at work. And I'm just like, oh, you had a great day? They're like, yeah, how was your day? I'm like, oh, it was such a good day. It was so great. I I feel like I definitely struggle with that too. And I think a lot of that has to do with emotional permanence too. Like when someone isn't around, I think that we can think of worst case scenario thinking and um like lack to remember that love and care piece and I think that's something I struggle with too is knowing that 
you know, in front of you when someone's showing you love, like, sure, it's there, I feel it, but the second that they go, it's almost like it never even existed, or they never even showed it to me, it's almost like I've completely forgot about it, um, and that really ties into my fear of abandonment, personally, um, the people-pleasing, and there's so many things I do out of fear of abandonment that I've never really realized for so long that were fear of abandonment. <laughs> oh, I know, same, yeah, it took a lot of, like, reflecting, where I'm just like, wow, that, that's where that comes from okay interesting how do you manage that kind of stuff like do you like i've i've said it already that i'm still like i'm not perfect i'm still working on it there's a ghost in your room it's a cat Um, oh it's a cat okay cool (laughs) just like oh my god it's haunted (laughs) no oh no um yeah how do you manage that stuff like how do i manage fear of abandonment the the self-destructive behaviors that that revolve around your fear of abandonment one self-destructive behavior that is out of control is my spending my gambling is i want to say out of control but not out of control to the point where like i can't house myself and stuff but when i go to the casino i'm like 100 more dollars 100 more dollars 100 more dollars you know true like um definitely spending is like the biggest thing that i self-destructing i would say um binge eating used to be one however i think the worst part about the self-destructive behaviors is the shame that comes with it because the shame actually leads me back into the self-destructive behaviors it's like a cycle of okay we're self-destructing and we're shaming and we're self-destructing and we're shaming because those emotions are really hard to deal with sitting with your negative emotions for me is like the hardest thing to fucking do I think the only thing that's really kept my head above water is the fact that I have this outlet personally. Like I do get lost on TikTok majority of the day and the other majority of the day I'm cleaning my house and organizing it. I hyper fixate on my house and that's how I deal with my self-destructive behavior. So the past two weeks I've been trying to work on my money and not spending it. And I've been, I've rearranged my whole house. So Honestly, that's fun. That's like a fresh start yeah that's really like a productive way to cope if you ask me you know i i find that with emotional over control comes perfectionism Mm -hmm. and uh so i've been learning to let go of my perfectionism and just be like okay good enough yep just send it whatever that's fine um so i'm trying to let that go oh my god yeah it is and it's just baby steps like you're not gonna get rid of these you're not gonna eliminate these behaviors overnight and you're not gonna eliminate Mm -hmm. the thoughts either like the shame that comes when you you know slip up you're not gonna eliminate that immediately as well like it takes time you know when you're noticing the feeling of like man i'm i'm really feeling embarrassed and like shitty about having gambled away like $200 um you know and then you spiral into this like shame thing you're like man I feel shitty that I did this oh my god I'm just a horrible person oh my god I'm like am I even should I even be posting online like what the fuck oh my god I hate this what if everybody hates me like it takes practice to interrupt that and be like nope it's just a slip up I am I am working on this. I am healing and I'm going to make sure next time 
I'm going to set a budget for myself or whatever it is that you do to eliminate that behavior. You're just like, okay, nope, this shame is not productive right now. I, it's okay. I'm not a bad person and I'm trying my best and I'm doing the best I can and it's okay. My two favorite skills right now is the practicing self-compassion and also self-validation. Um, you know, validating my own emotions is such a big thing. And I think that a lot of people with BPD, it feels weird to them to even, you know, be nice to themselves. And it felt weird to be nice to myself too for so long. And until I realized that, you know, like I'm giving all my friends this like, you know, very compassionate version of myself while I'm sitting here hating myself and beating myself up and criticizing myself for every single decision I've made. So I always am trying to practice the self-compassion, the self-validation. And I've noticed too with the self-validation, it helps me from oversharing too much because um, I can validate myself without needing that validation. That's a big one. Yep, that's how I kind of stop the oversharing. Be like, okay, they don't need to know this. And just because they don't know it doesn't mean that you're not healing, okay? You're okay. Learning to talk to myself and the way I talk to my friends and show them compassion, like learning how to exercise that compassion for myself, that's a big thing, for sure. And it feels weird. Like, it feels so wrong at first. Um, but the more you implement it for me, the easier it became. Um, it was something that sounded so silly in the beginning. And I, I remember my therapist saying, like, you got to practice your self-compassion statement that least, let's just say, five a day. Tell me how it goes. And I just remember thinking, like, I can't even think of a single thing I like about myself. I can't think of a single thing that I could say about myself that I could actually believe. But the more you say it to yourself, the more your brain starts to believe it. And in the moment when you first start saying it, it feels wrong to say. Your brain tricks you into thinking, like, this is wrong. Why are we doing this? It sounds silly. But the more you practice it, the more your brain will become used to it. And that's when it starts for me. That's when it started to work. Yeah, it's like it, it's a it's a muscle and it's a skill that you have to practice. Eventually it mm -hmm. comes a lot more naturally and you, you get a lot more comfortable. What are some things you'd like to see more awareness about regarding quiet BPD and maybe like this particular presentation? That it's not high functioning. I wish there was more awareness that we very much still greatly struggle. It's just in a different presentation. And it almost kind of feels like, I don't know if you feel this way, that as much as we're one community, sometimes it feels as if some of the community feels like they're on a pedestal and they compare both sides of BPD with each other, you know, as if someone's struggling less or someone's struggling more. I know myself, I post about quiet BPD and I've been told, um, like people get offended that I'm posting about quiet BPD. Oh, well, try being explosive. Like um, I've been explosive. I've mm. been on both ends of it and I struggle just as much on either end with the shame, the guilt, um, the suppressing of the emotions, whether it's explosive, whatever it is, right? Um, so I wish that there was less comparing when it comes to uh, quiet BPD, and I wish that there was more uh, awareness regarding it's not high functioning. <laughs> we still struggle. It's just in a different way. And just because it's not as visible and it's more of an invisible struggle, that it doesn't mean that my struggle is any greater or 
lesser, I guess you could say, than yours, you know? I do notice there's a lot of, like, struggle Olympics. I also disagree with it. I do get a lot of comments as well. Like, I would rather have quiet BPD, and I'm just like, no, you don't. Here's why. It's all BPD, and it all sucks. So I would just rather not have BPD at all. Mm-hmm. Or, like, I have gotten comments where it's just like, all you quiet BPD people think that you have it worse than all of us. And I'm just like, okay, I've literally never said that. Where on my page have I said that I have it worse than anybody else who struggles with a different presentation of BPD? I never said this. Go and find where I have said this on my page, and then I will give you $10. Guess what? I don't have to give you $10. Because you won't find it. And yeah, the high-functioning thing? Bullshit. I hear a lot of medical professionals as well uh, still use the high-functioning term. Please stop. I hate when people are like, quiet BPD isn't... They're like, quiet BPD isn't a real thing. It's just a subtype that some random person made up. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, come on. Well, also, a, it's not a random person that just made it up. It was an American psychologist that did extensive research on personality disorders. So it wasn't just some random chronically online person being like, yeah, I'm just going to name these subtypes yeah. like red, blue, yellow. You have yellow subtype. Yes, it's not a clinically recognized like typology, and that's fine. You know, some people are like, well, you know, it's not a clinical thing. And I'm like, yeah, it's not a clinically recognized diagnosis. You're right. And they're like, well, aren't you mad that I'm saying that? I'm like, no, I'm actually not because it's this is just a fact. It's not. Um, And they're like, well, OK, then. <laughs> okay cool peace out um like you're looking for an argument you're not gonna get it it's just social media is the place where nuance goes to die and it's just not like these types of conversations are not yes or no it's no but or yes and conversations mm-hmm. right where it's like is quiet bpd high functioning no but there are cases where yeah like these presentations are more likely to hold jobs down or whatever right or like the the thing where it's like bpd is not curable or it is curable it's like okay curable is like the wrong word to use here um bipolar disorder is also not curable it's not a it's not a disease that you get vaccinated against and you're good yeah (laughs) You know, so it's, you know, depression is not curable. You don't, like, get a vaccine against depression. Um, It's treatable. You treat it. Mental illnesses, they are treatable with various various types of things that you do. Like, And so that's the nuance. But on TikTok, it's like, well, it is curable. Or it's not curable. You're going to have it forever. It's just like, okay, bestie. Yeah. I also think, too, like, um, speaking up about quiet BPD or even, you know, different forms of BPD, it seems like people just take it as, like, oh, you're just making an excuse. And I think that also frustrates me because it's, like, on one hand, it's, like, I'm trying to raise awareness so people understand themselves better, become more self-aware. And on the other hand, I can sit here and you can still make assumptions on what BPD is. Like, I'm damned if I do. Like, I'm damned if I don't, you know, like. No matter which way I say it, you're going to bring another kind of perception to the conversation of what I was trying to intend. You know, like, do you get that a lot? Yeah, I've just learned don't argue with fools. 
yeah, I just block now. I'm like, oh, I can't do it. I can't yeah, I'm like, I'm not, I'm, I literally do not owe a random stranger my emotional energy. Yeah. I just don't, like. <laughs> and their perception will always be different, so I can't change that. If someone's committed to misunderstanding you, there's nothing you can do to change that. You can't control someone's, like, behavior. You can't control another person's behavior or thoughts. So if they're committed to misunderstanding you, they can just sit in that. Just, mm -hmm. I'm going to keep talking about my experiences and talking with other people about their experiences. Like, and if you misunderstand it, and you just don't have to watch, bestie. Yeah. You just don't have to listen. <laughs> you can go do something else. Well, that is a lot of food for thought, Mick. So... I really want to thank you for visiting with me today and chatting, and I'm going to let you go get your kiddos. But before we go, um, where can people find you on social media? Um, my tag is at BPDRelatable on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook. Thank you so much for just chatting with me and sharing your experience. In the next episode, you and I are going to be speaking with Melanie, another BPD creator and advocate as she shares her own inspiring recovery journey and imparts some invaluable insights along the way. This episode is a must listen for you if you're feeling kind of hopeless and in need of a really good casual pep talk. Thanks for listening. Quiet, not silent. We can create a perfect world in our heads.